On this prequel episode, we've got our Children of Men fan poll follow-up. We're learning about Brendan Fraser and previewing Inkheart. Hello and welcome back to this film of the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. We have another prequel episode coming to you on this fine summer day. It's not technically summer yet. Oh, it's it, summer in the it Midwest. It feels like it. And it's the worst. It is the worst. Somebody told me the heat index today was over 100 degrees. And I'm like, it's May 8th or whatever. Yeah. This is the worst. For reference, we are in the southern Midwest. Yeah, yes. So I know it, the Midwest is like a weird expansion. Things get a little bit... Uh, subtropic around here yeah. when summer hits yeah. we're right on the edge a little, where, a of the, swampy. the midwest and the south yeah we're like right on the we're still midwest but barely so yeah it's 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 the worst but we have a lot to talk about so we're gonna get right into it with our patron shout outs we have one new patron this week at the five dollar hugo award-winning level getting access to all of our bonus content and that is valentine or valentine one of the two thank you valentine for supporting us at the five dollar level we appreciate it very much hope you enjoy that bonus content we'll have another episode coming out before too long where we're watching that movie tomorrow night uh for may it is pacific rim yeah so there you go we look out for that one here uh in a week or two and as always we have our academy award-winning patrons and they are paul Kat Ensminger, Ben Wilcox, Jeff Niederhofer, Teresa Schwartz, Ian Says Invaginate, but also Oubliate, Oubliette, too. Still just recommending Children of Time for all my fellow sci-fi nerds, Winchester's Forever, Kelly Napier, Gray Hightower, Eli Young's Gratch, Just Gratch, Shelby Says Monsters and Mayhem is out now, That Darn Skag, V Frank, ran out of snark this week, so I'm just Nathan, I enjoy long walks in Forest Park, or I did in college at Wash U, and Alina Starkoff, thank you all very much for supporting us at the $15 level, you are all the very best, let's find out what you everybody else had to say about Children of Men. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like, uh... Your opinion, man. So before we get to all of our uh, fans' reaction and follow-up, I actually had two things that I wanted to add that I had thought about in the days after we recorded that kind of came to my mind, thinking more, ruminating on the film, um, of just stuff that I had meant, maybe not even meant to bring up, or I can't remember if I meant to bring them up and forgot, or if I thought about them after we recorded. Either way, um, and one of them that I thought was really wild is this uh, talk about a bold choice of in a major motion film that came out five years after nine 11 portraying a giant group of Muslims marching down the street, chanting Allahu Akbar is not only not negative, but argue as like, arguably as like a relatively positive group. They're like just another disenfranchised group that's been maligned like the other immigrants and they're now fighting mm -hmm. for their freedom. Uh, that's kind of wild. I didn't yeah, realize for the that, time period for sure. For, yeah. yeah, that's what I mean. For yeah. for it's 2006. Yeah, like that's that we're in peak. All of the bad guys <laughs> in every movie is, yeah. is is a Muslim from the Middle East. Like that's so I was just kind of surprised, or and maybe not surprised, but I was just I was like, okay. oh wow, yeah, a little because it, struck by it. Yeah, it's one of those things that I think you might even miss if you're not. You might just interpret that group 
steeped in the cultural milieu of the time without even really thinking about it, you may interpret that group as potentially bad guys Mm -hmm. or something. Just again, because of societally. Yeah. (laughs) The portrayal. um, What what kind of um, as a society we had deemed. Muslims chanting Allahu Akbar as enemies at that period of time. And I say we as like a collective Mm -hmm. society. Um, And so I think viewers might not even have realized, but when you think about it, you're like, no, they're, they're literally just part of the, you know, the rebel, Mm -hmm. maybe not whatever, whatever the um, The uprising, the uprising that is, you know, trying to free all these immigrants from this um, concentration camp, essentially. Uh, and I thought that was interesting. So I thought that was one thing that I wanted to mention because, again, I was just kind of striking. And then a second thing. Um, you had mentioned, you know, uh, that you thought it was uh, and I agree overall. Um, and I'd be interested to hear other people's perspectives on this. But I thought one thing uh, uh, you, you thought it was positive or potentially a positive thing that key um, being this person who is, you know, the the key to restarting the human race um, and saving humanity from extinction essentially uh is a black character is not a non-white character mm-hmm. um and i agree but i also think that there is potentially like a problematic reading of key being black that kind of jumped into my head from somewhere um and that is the fact that black women uh have often been dehumanized while being sexualized and seen as valuable for their ability to breed yeah and so like a non-zero number of founding fathers were slave owners who also had sex with slaves. And I think within the context of the film that that reading isn't clearly isn't what is intended or isn't. No, I don't think not even what is intended, but isn't um, the reading that comes across. But outside of the film, I could see someone finding that portrayal is like potentially iffy. I don't Mm -hmm. know. I'm not. uh, It's just something I thought of. Um, The movie clearly does not tie her value as a person to her ability to get pregnant, as we've discussed in the episode. But it does feel. But that is a problem that throughout history, women of color have faced. So it feels. Yeah, you know what I mean? Potentially iffy or problematic reading of it, for sure. Like you said, I I don't think that's what the movie is like. I don't think that's where the movie is going with it. I don't think that was the intention. It's very clearly not the intention. But But even though it's not the intention, it could still be, you know. um, But I like I said, I do think that it's it's very clear that the movie is trying to humanize her as a person. First. Yes. And the the fact that she's pregnant is sort of secondary to her humanity. Um, as we like I said, as we discussed in the episode, but it was something I thought about that I thought might be worth bringing up and kind of discussing. So, anyways, those were my two points. What did uh, other people have to say? All right. Well, on Patreon, we had six votes for the movie and one for the book. V. Frank, um, who was our patron who requested Children of Men, said, "Thanks for taking the title selection. Best Patreon benefit ever." <laughs> I'm voting for the movie. You hear that, everybody? $15 patron, uh, and you get to recommend a movie. I'm voting for the movie, but I have to share the story of my son from several years back. He read the book as part of his English class and hadn't seen the movie. I was watching the film in the living room, and he wandered through just as Key was introduced, and he was mortified at the introduction of a new character. He yelled they completely changed everything from the book and forever maintained that the book was the far better story. One small note, I think the coronation ring is part of the crown jewels of England and that Zan was wearing it as a means of inheriting the authority of the monarchy. Mm. And I, I think that is accurate. I mostly couldn't remember 
what well, the and thing even about if that's the ring tr- was. Even if that's true, I still think it it seems to me that your interpretation was that it 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 obviously <laughs> I, I mostly I, I interpreted it as a, a little hokey. Yeah, well um. I guess your critique of it wasn't <laughs> that like it didn't have any meaning or why does this ring matter? Or maybe you didn't say that, but I my interpretation of what your critique was that it seemed that this this thing like magically bestowed yeah, him it, powers it in a way feel a little bit magical and i mean to be fair the book just kind of ends right. after um i've already forgotten his name theo yes puts the ring on so we don't uh, we don't know what happened after that maybe okay. everybody else was like no way man right you can't do that yeah um but but it, it did like it read to me as like a little bit like okay what am i supposed to buy this like what yeah. are we doing here yeah uh, yeah but um, i but i understand like the 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 symbolism of it right yeah um and then i wanted to touch on i thought it was funny mentioning you know uh, your son seeing the movie and and being um mortified <laughs> that the character introduction was changed um and how they changed everything from the book and forever maintained that the book is far better than the story i i i don't i would be interested to know how old your kid yeah. was, i mean you said they read it in high school i don't know if Right, didn't that? What it's they said? a part of an English class, so, so it could have been high school, it could have been college. We yeah, don't know. Probably high school. Um, but, but a younger person. Yeah. Um. So and so I'm assuming that they're seeing the film was around the same time. Uh. So like high school, but that is the time in my life where I was also a, a way less open to like yeah. adaptations being exactly that adaptations yeah. and and wanting them to be just direct translations of <laughs> book to screen um and i've obviously mm-hmm. since changed quite a bit in that perspective but but definitely like i you know that was a forever a, a big problem i had when i was young when the harry potter movies were coming out was anytime they changed anything yeah just like ah. yeah you know what i mean and i think that is for sure like a critical thinking skill that you learn yeah that you sort of develop uh, ideally yeah ideally <laughs> ideally uh we had another comment from jess who said i didn't read the book but i thought the movie was great i watched it once maybe four years ago and just rewatched it for this episode in the scene where we first arrived to Jasper's house, they panned over newspaper clippings and pictures in the house. I think it showed Jasper being a political cartoonist. Also, I remember seeing an article in that shot of a woman who was a journalist that was captured and tortured, and I think that was supposed to be about his wife, possibly. I could be wrong, but I assumed that it was her, and that's why she was in the state that she was. I didn't notice that, but that makes perfect sense. Yeah, would, I didn't would notice totally that track um, if that was the case, and it would kind of fit with uh jasper's character of what mm-hmm. we know of him as sort mm-hmm. of a witty eccentric guy him being yeah. a political cartoonist <laughs> yes. totally totally makes sense and also that sort of unstated or at least very subtly stated through um exposition or not exposition through um whatever the opposite of exposition is <laughs> um uh, of of his wife's backstory also i think makes a lot of sense um and so i i would imagine that's probably the case mm-hmm. but we just missed that also, after Miriam got dragged off that bus, I think we see her in a later scene when they're passing that riot being carried, presumably dead, on a doorframe. I'm not 100% sure, but I thought it was an interesting detail. 
Um, I remember seeing the person being carried yes. on the door frame. I don't think we can see their face. I don't though. think we can. And I would be inclined to think that's probably not her because this is the scene I was talking about. That's during the scene mm-hmm. where it's the large group of Muslim immigrants yeah. uh, who are all together. And as far as we know, she had no connection to them. As far in as any, we know, Like yeah. as far as we know. Um, so I would find it surprising that they would because to me, that seems like what that was, you know, somebody somebody who's a part of their group maybe a leader or whatever who had been right. killed yeah. and like a, as like a martyr basically um kind of carrying them through the streets as like a symbol and i it seems unlikely that it's this this woman who would seemingly have no connection to these people um but i don't know that for sure because i don't i didn't get a good enough look mm-hmm. at the character to or the per, you know the body to know or not but anyway yeah Overall, I really liked how the director tended to focus on all the small details in this movie, and I felt it made it more immersive. I would agree. On Facebook, our post got buried. Absolutely. (laughs) One vote for the movie and zero for the book. Uh, We did get a comment, though. Andy said, I choose the film, the use of long takes and cutting edge tech at the time to evoke naturalism, as well as to stage the action sequences is breathtaking. However, I find the premise lacking and the story going right to the hope of a new pregnancy undercuts what they do have. The creeping fascism looks no different to our historical types, we get no real exploration of the Omega culture, and the thematic scenes are basically vignettes. I like the book idea that it's specifically a collapse of male fertility, and I wonder how that would change culture more specifically. Still prefer the film. I think those are all interesting uh, ideas, Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I can agree. Without having read the book. <laughs> On Twitter, we had six votes for the movie and three for the book. Kelly Napier said, Much like Brian with The Godfather, this is a movie I know I should have seen, but for some reason never have. Thanks to the episode, I'm moving it to the top of my must-watch list. Fair enough. I don't know. I don't think it's on the same tier as The Godfather, which is <laughs> widely regarded as one of the greatest films ever made. This one, while, while among maybe the top 100 in some lists would would uh, not be in many people's top tens, I don't think. Um, maybe some, but very few. So yeah, I think I had a larger hole there with, <laughs> with The Godfather. Or more embarrassing hole, at least. Shelby says Monsters and Mayhem is out now. Said, I have mixed feelings on both. I was looking forward to seeing how the movie was going to handle Theo and Zan's dynamic because I thought it had so much potential in the book, but the movie scrapped it entirely. I did enjoy the long, the, the long single takes the film uses. It was insanely impressive. The only other thing I've seen that uses that technique is the X-Files episode Triangle, which was filmed as four 11-minute takes with very little cutting in between. I don't know if that was a particularly good episode, but it was impressive. For Children of Men, I'm going to give it to the movie because I think it did a better job showing what the impact a new baby would have on this world. I wasn't expecting Key to give birth so early, but I think the payoff of the scene where everyone lets them through was worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a handful of other um, famous instances of the single takes. Um, probably the most famous one uh, that I can think of uh, is in, there's an Alfred Hitchcock film called Rope, mm-hmm. which is an entire film mm-hmm. that is ostensibly one take. Again, it's not. There are hidden cuts and stuff. Um, but that is, uh, I think, one of the earliest instances of like a other than like maybe like some very early films that are one take because of the limit of technology where they just rolled a camera yeah. and like 
filmed the play or what you know what i mean <laughs> like we're disregarding that once we got into the actual um mise-en-scene style of filmmaking and uh uh more modern types of filmmaking i believe rope was one of the first if not the first examples of like full big long single take um filmmaking um but there are also lots of shows shows will tend to do it every now and then um we'll kind of play with that i think buffy has an episode i think I could be wrong, but I think maybe the body, the episode, the body, not the whole episode, but like the whole first like eight. I could be wrong about I that. Don't I could remember, be but wasn't what was the one where they were like trapped in a nightmare and there was like a, a demon character, but then it turned out to like not really be a demon. It was the one remember. it was the one where they uh, announced that Dawn was coming and they're like trapped in a nightmare scape. I feel like I remember that one having long takes in it, but could I could be. be wrong. Could be that. I, I think, but like I said, I think Buffy did it at least once, if not twice. Um, but I could be misremembering. We've only watched Buffy once. But um, but yeah, uh, other shows and stuff have done it. Um, but yeah, it's a, it, when done well, it, it is very impressive and can definitely engross you in the film in a way that um, few other things can. Um, Dan Moore said, for me, the film represents a superior example of sound storytelling meeting compelling filmmaking. In terms of the film itself, it contains beautiful set design, clever world building, and some of the most impactful cine cinematography put to screen, up there with The Revenant, in my opinion. So Dan's just a fan of this cinematographer, because it's the same guy <laughs> who did The Revenant. <laughs> Uh, among quite a few other things but yeah he's a very good cinematographer he's he's uh, i would put him in you know especially in modern like current working cinematographers he's got to be in like the top five mm. um for sure um and also Deacons uh, is also very good though so anyways also with commentary on the cinematography was len flekasinski um who said it's funny brian says he got saving private ryan vibes from the cinematography I was getting strong minority mm. report vibes, which makes sense since they're both Spielberg and use the same DP. Yeah, that would make sense. I'll have a distinct use of color desaturation yeah. for their world. Also, it might be fun to do a Patreon bonus for saving Private <laughs> Ryan. Unless Katie doesn't like gore, then skip the first 20 minutes. I think I've seen the opening. Of, I've say, never uh, seen Saving the, Private most Ryan. Most people, but even I'm, if they haven't seen Saving I'm Private Ryan, sure I've Ryan, seen have the seen opening. parts of the opening yeah. because it is so like iconic um in terms I've, of i feel like i want to say i saw it in a history class at some point it would not surprise me because yeah that's the we i think we watched parts of we didn't watch the whole thing in like a history class but i think we watched parts of it because it is from what i understand relatively mm -hmm. historically accurate in mm -hmm. a lot of ways um obviously not the characters but like yeah, the portrayal of, of the battle and and everything and everything going on at the time. Uh, anyways, um, but yeah, uh, say I don't know if I want to watch Saving Private Ryan. It is a it. very good movie. I've seen it probably two or three times. Fantastic film. Just has one of my least favorite scenes in a movie ever. It's up there with. Um, it might even be higher than the dog scene in I Am Legend. Uh, and I'm sure there are other ones, obviously, that I haven't seen. And, I, and 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 I'm disregarding like explicitly like shock factor, like like a Serbian film or like movies uh -huh. that are literally explicitly made as like gore porn or like weird shocking. There's a scene in Saving Private Ryan and it's not in the first 20 minutes. It's actually towards the end 
um, that I find impossible to watch. <laughs> um, if you've seen Save It Private Ryan, it's the scene where the one guy gets stabbed in the chest. Um, I can't watch that scene. Like, I just can't. It's terrible. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know of this scene, but we don't have to watch Saving Private Ryan. But if you don't the movie to. itself is incredible. And I like a lot about it. And a lot of it, you know, is is as fun as a World War II movie can be um, because the characters are really, very compelling. And it's, you know, it's well written and all that sort of stuff. And it's it's a very engaging film. Um, but, yeah, it's it's got some in particular that one moment that I just oof, it's it's not not my favorite. Um, so on Instagram, we had seven votes for the movie and one for the book. The Leap 77 said, I think like most people, I'm choosing the movie because we were exposed to that first. But I also choose the movie because it is easily one of the most well-made films in the past 20 years. The book certainly built an interesting world, but the movie made a more realistic world, mainly because of current events that expose the human race as a fairly selfish species. Preparing for the future doesn't seem to be built into most DNA strands. Anyway, the changes to the film simply work better overall, especially the underhanded motivations of the fishes. The anti-immigration stuff also hits hard considering I live in a city fairly close to the Mexican border, and there are plenty of individuals who call for this type of treatment to immigrants and refugees. There is so much to take in with this film, and when you can derive meanings from the street art or understand how important pets are in this world, I knew right away with the woman in the coffee shop that was holding her pup. I think any book will have an issue standing next to this. Also, forgot this point, my theory about how Theo and Jasper know each other is that Theo is most likely a media liaison for the government at some point. Jasper's wife was a mm. photojournalist, and he was a political cartoonist, so it makes sense. Theo apparently works for the Ministry of Energy in the movie, but it is conceivable that through attrition and the fact um, that fascistic governments tend to cull and nationalize the media, Theo was moved to that department, which is fitting because when the world does not end, it will most likely be signified by the power dying due to lack of maintenance and raw materials. Kind of fitting for an apathetic nihilist like Theo. Of course, Theo and Jasper could have just been friends due to their activism, but that seems too simple. I think what to me actually sounds potentially like the most likely could be that uh, piecing all this together with the previous the the comment earlier mm. um, is that maybe he was like a media liaison or something. Um, and whenever assuming that the, the other commenter was right about Jasper's wife being captured and tortured. Mm hmm. Maybe at that point, and maybe it was through a similar department that Theo was working in, and he was like, well, fuck this. Like, because mm. him and Jasper became friends yeah. or whatever. And then after that happened to Jasper's wife, he was like, fuck this, and like, quit. And yeah. maybe got reassigned to a different department or something. You know what I mean? Like, maybe yeah. he tried to, like, remove himself. He couldn't, or I don't know, just speculating. But that could be a, a potentially an interesting backstory or something like that. But anyways, or the final votes. Our winner was the movie with 20 votes to the books. Five A little disappointed that none of those five people came to bat for the book. If you pick it's, the book, I'm, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. If you pick the underdog in any given thing, we would love for you yes, to actually please. voice that. Uh, why you're picking that thing. We would appreciate. I mean, we appreciate if everybody does it, honestly. But in particular, for films where you you have a feeling you're picking the you know 
the less popular mm-hmm. opinion. Or if after you click it and you see you're like way <laughs> outvoted or whatever, go ahead and drop a little comment about why you picked the book or whatever or the movie or whichever it is. Anyways. All right. It's time now to learn a little bit about Brendan Fraser. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Brendan James Fraser is an American-Canadian actor, uh, perhaps best known for playing lead roles in films in the 90s and 2000s, such as The Mummy Trilogy, Encino Man, and George of the Jungle. Uh, Fraser... Also, Blast from the Past. You left that out. Okay, well, there were a lot of movies. I picked three. <laughs> I know. I'm just kidding. Uh, Fraser is the youngest of four boys. Uh, he was born in Indianapolis to Canadian parents. Um, he he does hold dual American and Canadian citizenship. Uh, the family moved around a lot when he was growing up. Um, he lived in various places around America, Canada, and Europe. While in London, he saw his first professional production in the West End, which kicked off his interest in acting. Um, I could not find when approximately that was, like how old he was, mm-hmm. um, but that was apparently what got him interested in the world of acting. Um, so he went to school for it. Um, he graduated from Seattle's Cornish College of the Arts in 1990, um, and he had decided to go pursue an MFA in acting from Southern Methodist University, but uh, decided to go to L.A. first and get some work filming pilots, um, and that ended up launching his career, and he stayed in Hollywood. Uh, he made his film debut in 1991's Dogfight, got his first leading role in 1992's Encino Man, and a handful of films later had his first major box office success with the 1997 comedy film George of the Jungle. Was um, Airheads not a uh, success? I, feel, I would have thought Airheads was a success. I guess I don't not. Know. I'm, pulling, is... I'm pulling things from Wikipedia. No, I, I believe. I just. I guess Airheads was. I don't know. I, I did I, not look up the numbers. But Airheads is. A, I remember seeing that on uh, Comedy Central all the time. It's like him, Steve Buscemi, and Adam Sandler, and they like. Uh, <laughs> they um, hold a a radio station hostage. So that they'll play their they're a band and they hold a radio station hostage so that they'll play their demo tape on the radio. God. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, but his biggest commercial success, 1999's The Mummy. The greatest film would ever soon made. Follow. The greatest film ever made. Uh, he continued to make films and guest star on TV shows throughout the 2000s. Uh, but the physical demands of the stunts that he performed in his roles were catching up with him eventually requiring him to undergo several surgeries over the period of seven years, um, including a partial knee replacement, a laminectomy, which is a partial vertebrae removal, and vocal cord surgery. Wow. Probably from all the yelling in The Mummy. He does lots of yelling in those films. Um, On that, Fraser has been quoted as saying, By the time I did the third mummy picture in China, I was put together with tape and ice. I was building an exoskeleton for myself daily, which sounds horrible. Yep. Um, Speaking of horrible, uh, there was another incident in the early to mid aughts that we do have to talk about. uh, Content warning for sexual assault. Um, In a 2018 interview with GQ, uh, Fraser alleged that former Hollywood foreign press president Philip Burke um, groped him at an FPA luncheon in 2003. Um, and although at the time that he was able to like remove himself from the situation, 
Frazier stated that the incident terrified him, um, saying, quote, I felt ill. I felt like a little kid. I felt like there was a ball in my throat. I thought I was going to cry. I felt like someone had thrown invisible paint on me. Um, Frazier also told GQ that he considered going public with his story shortly after it happened, um, but ultimately decided not to because, quote, I didn't want to contend with how that made me feel or it becoming part of my narrative, which is just like the worst thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. However, um, at the time, his representatives did ask the FP uh, HFPA for a written apology, which Bur um, Burke told GQ he wrote. Um, he stated, quote, my apology admitted no wrongdoing. The usual, if I've done anything that upset Mr. Frazier, it was not intended, and I apologize. So not an apology. So Burke, basically. Burke told GQ <laughs> that he, that he, he did the bad apology. Yes. What a weird... In 2018. <laughs> what the fuck? Okay. I, I don't know. Um, maybe, maybe... Is this saying it within the context of him then taking, like, responsibility for it in 2018? You know what I mean? Like... I don't think so, are no. Because to me, so. the only way that makes sense, unless the person's a psychopath, is... You know, I admit it. I apologized at the time, but it was a bad apology. I basically said, like, you know, uh, oh, I'm sorry if I did anything that upset you. But now I'm actually sorry. Like, that's the only way saying that like that makes any yeah. sense. Again, unless you're like, I mean, a legitimate I didn't, psychopath. I, I didn't know. look up anything about Burke. I did read the GQ article and that was not the vibe that I got. Interesting. OK, huh. But Fraser has said that the incident made him feel ashamed and depressed obviously, yeah. um, and caused him to retreat. Um, he said he also wonders if the HFPA, which, by the way, is the organization that hosts the Golden Globes, mm. um, had actually blacklisted him, um, stating, quote, the silence was deafening um, and that he was rarely invited back to the Globes after 2003. Yeah. Um, the, HA the FHPA denies this, of course. Yeah. Um, so the assault and the ensuing depression and backlash um, combined with his health issues and then he got divorced in 2007 um, caused his career to decline. So if you've ever wondered why Brendan Fraser was everywhere in the 2000s and not really so much in the 2010s, that's why. Yeah. And that's I, I, I had heard at least a little bit of you know, mm -hmm. some of the details because there was a couple years ago there was like as he was starting to kind of come back, there was all these videos and stuff of yeah like, where would brendan fraser go what happened to yeah. brendan fraser and then you know like those like those youtube videos <laughs> um so yeah I, I was at least somewhat aware of it but but he is making a bit of a comeback um in 2016 he replaced uh ray liotta um who we just watched in a movie mm -hmm. um in the bollywood thriller line of descent uh, he also had recurring roles in a few tv series including the affair Trust, Titans, and Doom Patrol, a string of appearances that led many publications to label his sudden comeback as the Renaissance. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I have seen clips of him in Line of Descent. I don't think he's in very much. I think uh -huh. he's in like a few minutes of it, but he's fucking crazy in, in a way that is amazing yeah. from what I think I've seen. Um, and in 2021, Frazier played Dugster, uh, Dugster, Dugster, Jesus. Gangster, Doug Jones, in Steven Soderbergh's crime film, No Sudden Move. Um, also in 2021, he was announced to be appearing in several upcoming films, including uh, Darren Aronofsky's. Aronofsky's The Whale, 
Max Barbacow's brothers and Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. Mm -hmm. So we will be seeing more. Yeah. He's also, I just looked when I went to his IMDb page, I believe he's going to be in um, Batgirl, the TV show. Oh, cool. Or the movie. I think it's the TV show that's, yeah. He was um, just credited as um another fun fact about Brendan Fraser, I would leave you for Brendan Fraser. No, oh, that's fair. I would leave you for Brendan Fraser. So, so there's no le- no leaving needs to happen. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Make that work. Um also, if you've ever seen it, there's a delight I mean, I think there's more than one, but I saw one a while ago of just a, a wonderful video of him doing an interview with somebody and somebody relaying a message to him mm-hmm. about how everybody missed him and was cheering for him or, and you know, like loved him and blah, blah, blah. And he gets very like, I saw that it was very it's sweet. It's very sweet. Yes. Uh, I, I don't know how you would even Google it. You could probably Google like Brendan Fraser fan message or so, I don't, uh, whatever you could probably find it. And probably a lot of people have seen it already. Like it blew up mm-hmm. on social media, but anyways, if you want a nice little sweet heartwarming video, go check that out. Uh, if you're a fan of Brendan Fraser like we are. All right. It's time now to learn a little bit more about a book that was literally inspired by Brendan Fraser in Cart. Yeah. <laughs> Within the pages of a book, a world of magic awaits. It was Toto that made Dorothy laugh. He was a little black dog with long silky hair. <laughs> You're going to get me in trouble. This is the story you have been waiting to hear. Maybe you'll find it here. Find what? That book you're always looking for. What if you had the power to bring a book to life? Inkheart. Simply by reading it aloud. So Inkheart is a 2003 young adult fantasy novel by German author Cornelia Funke. Um, So this came out like right smack in the Harry Potter heyday, um, which makes sense because it's like a 500 page young adult fantasy novel. Right. Um, The book is the first in a trilogy. It was followed by Ink Spell in 2005 and Ink Death in 2007. Apparently there's a fourth book in the works, question mark. Um, So according to Wikipedia, The Color of Revenge... Uh, a departure from the other titles yeah. um, was announced in 2020, but that was basically all that Wikipedia said. So I kind of went looking for this um, and I could not find it anywhere on Funka's website. Um, but there was an entry for it on the Inkheart wiki. And I'm just going to read what the wiki says because I found this kind of funny and weird. Okay. So the wiki says it will be published as a physical book but may potentially be distributed in audio form. It will also tie into Funka's Mirror World series. In November 2016, Funka estimated a tentative release date of 2018. New paragraph. In April 2020, Funka announced that while the book would be released late in 2021, the first 15 chapters would be released as a digital audiobook in April 2020, with the following chapters to be released periodically following. Uh, full disclosure, I did not bother looking to see if I could find that audiobook. A later Amazon listing confirmed a final German release date of the physical book in April 2023. 
I'm assuming that it just kept getting delayed. Like, I mean, I, I clearly it just kept getting delayed. My question is that if it's been partially released as an audiobook, I guess I'm just wondering why there wasn't anything about it on her website. I'm betting it hasn't been partially released as an audiobook. Like, this is people saying that it would be. But I, is there anything to confirm that it actually has? I don't know. I so I'm guessing it, it hasn't been. <laughs> yeah, probably they, not. This is just speculation. Oh, it's going to be released yeah. as an audiobook on this date. And then it never did because she was still working on it or whatever. No, I just thought this was funny because I had to read it like four times to yeah. be like, what are y'all talking about? Um, anyway, uh, her website is also super delightful, by hmm. the way. Um, it's a very classic, like semi-interactive author website. It's very cute. Um, but it sounds like The Color of Revenge, if it does indeed exist, um, is going to be a collection of stories that further expands the world of oh, Inkheart, okay. um, not really like a direct continuation of the trilogy. So you're Cimmerillion. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Um, also, according to the Inkheart wiki, so who knows how accurate this is, but I thought it was funny. Um, Shel Silverstein's poem is used in the English edition because each chapter starts with an epigraph. Uh -huh. um, and it was originally meant to be used for the German edition as well. Um, but Cornelia, Cornelia Funke didn't like the existing German translation and didn't think it was possible <laughs> to transfer the lightness of the context into German. I think she has issues with German and Germ like Germany and German culture because I had a quote I had a I had a fact that I cut from mine. I believe I cut it um about how she didn't want the film made in Germany because she didn't think the German style of acting could she didn't want a German production uh -huh. like you know like, like she is German yes I know but she didn't apparently did not think this is why I remember where I read this somewhere but I didn't end up putting it in there because I thought it was so weird um she didn't think the German style of acting was the mm -hmm. quote I, I saw uh would be able to properly portray the characters that and I was like what okay perhaps xenophobic so. against her own country uh would that be xenophobia i don't it's think probably it would not the be. right word whatever it's probably not the right word um so anyway the german edition of features a poem by paul Celan selen instead i don't know who that is i've never heard of him um but inkhart won the 2004 book sense book of the year award for children's literature um, and based on a 2007 online poll, the National Education Association also listed the book as one of its teachers' top 100 books for children. Um, Kirkus Reviews declared it, quote, a true feast for anyone who has ever been lost in a book. Mm. And writing in The Guardian, uh, Diana Wynne-Jones, a TFIL alum, author of Howl's Moving Castle, stated, quote, I don't think I've ever read anything that conveys so well the joys, terrors, and pitfalls of reading. There you go. So that, that to me, is a pretty uh, weighty endorsement. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I have, I have read this book before, like around the time when it oh, came really? out. Okay, I, didn't I, I remember very little about it. I don't think I read the rest of the series. Mm -hmm. I do remember liking it, oh. um, but I've never seen the movie. So we'll I'm... see how I feel about all of it now. Yes. Speaking of the film, let's learn a little bit more about 2008's Inkheart. Dustfinger. Traveling fire juggler with magical powers. Your voice brought them out of the book. But what if one book you brought to life? I'm here to warn you. You should be more careful. I took you to another world. 
just like the illustration in the book. It's hideous. Man's got no taste whatsoever. Take him to the dungeon. Lock him up. Unicorn flying monkeys. What is this place? You want to go home? I'm here to help. And how do you intend that we escape? The mighty storm? Now, to get back home, they must escape from the book. Inkheart is a 2008 film directed by Ian Softley, known for Backbeat, The Skeleton Key, Hackers, and K-Packs, among other things, and was written by David Lindsay Abair, uh, who wrote Robots, Rise of the Guardians, Oz the Great and Powerful, and sh- the book for Shrek the Musical, among hmm. other things. Uh, the film stars Brendan Fraser, Paul Bettany, Helen Mirren, Jim Broadbent, Andy Serkis, Eliza Hope Bennett, and Raff- Raffi Gavron. The film has a 39% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 49% on Metacritic, and a 6.1 out of 10 on IMDb. So considerably better on IMDb Mm. than than other places. Pretty middling. Still middling, yeah. yeah. I mean, 6 is, yeah, fairly low for IMDb. Like, bad movies usually in the 3 to 4 to 5 range. (laughs) Like, you know, like, considered pretty bad movies. So 6 is on the lower side for sure. The film made uh, $62.4 million against a budget of $60 million, so a Oof. bit of a flop. Not ideal. At least it recouped. Yeah, not counting, <laughs> not counting marketing, because th- <laughs> those, those budgets never include the marketing yeah. budget. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, uh, this is the cutest thing I think I've ever heard. Shortly after the novel was published, author Cornelia Funke sent a copy of Inkheart along with a note to Brendan Fraser, explaining that he was her inspiration for the character of Moe. And apparently she even dedicated the second novel of the trilogy to him and sent him a signed copy. That is adorable. And this quote from Brendan Fraser. So I get this book. It shows up in the mail. Dear Brendan, it's inscribed. Thank you for inspiring this character. I can feel my leg getting pulled already. What? Where's Ashton Kutcher? I hope that you get a chance to read this a lot. That's him speculating on why mm-hmm. she. Why didn't she send it to Ashton Kutcher? Because he's, I guess, big at the time, you know, whatever. Oh, I thought that was uh, him asking if he was being punked. Oh, I guess yeah. Okay, that actually makes more sense. I yeah. was taking it along the lines of like, why couldn't why do oh you couldn't get Ashton Kutcher? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. but yeah, no, you're right. That, that was, I forgot that punked was, was a prime, thing. That was Sorry, prime punk Good era. Lord, oof, you're right. You're absolutely correct. <laughs> Sorry that's what's for going, dredging up that memory. That's for what's you. going on there. Uh, and then he goes on reading her note, I believe. Uh, I hope that you get a chance to read this aloud to your kids one day. Best wishes, Cornelia Funk. I had no idea uh, from a bar of soap who she was, so I Googled her. Wow, so much work. She's prolific. <laughs> he went on from there, but it didn't make sense. So I, or it, it must have been in context of a larger interview, so yeah. I just cut it off there. But yeah, thought it was fun. Uh, and apparently it was this fact that uh, Brennan Fraser was um, the inspiration for Mo in the book that uh, motivated director Ian Softley and the casting department to consider Fraser for the role uh, as their first choice. Uh, I mean, yeah, ob- I- yeah, obviously. Also, it's 2008 or whatever, 2007. Yeah. It's still, you know, he's, he's, uh, I mean, the mummy, he, he's still fairly big yeah. at this time, but um, a little bit removed from his peak stardom of the late 90s, very early 2000s. Frazier told Softly that if it was determined that he was not right for the role, that they should not feel obligated to use him on the project. Softly, though, was ultimately impressed with his performance and uh, signed him on for the film. Apparently, producers originally wanted a bigger Hollywood star, but on the insistence of Funka, they gave in and accepted Brendan Fraser nice. for the role. Uh, a couple other small facts that I was able to find. There wasn't a ton on this movie because, uh, again, it wasn't a huge film. Mm. 
Inkheart was filmed at Shepperton Studios near London uh, and, and on location in Balestrino, Albanga, Alasio, Entraca, and Laguiglia, 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 <laughs> Italy in 2006 to 2007. Balestrino, Albanga, Alessio, Entraca, I don't know how to say that one, and Laguiglia or something like that, Italy uh, in, in 2006 and 2007. Um, and this is my favorite kind of movie trivia, and I'm so glad I found this one. Everybody be on the lookout for this. <laughs> in an early scene in the film at Aunt Eleanor's, uh, played by Dame Helen Mirren, a toolkit is seen next to Brendan Fraser. It is the same toolkit that Rick gives to Evie in The Mummy in, 19- uh, in the Mummy from it's 1999. Very exciting crossover for us here at this film for this <laughs> To see the toolkit. Um, yeah. We shall see. Uh, so uh, another person that was considered for the role of Capricorn, which I believe ultimately went to uh, Andy Serkis, I mm-hmm. could, I, if I'm not incorrect there, uh, was Rowan Atkinson or Mr. Bean for Interesting. people who don't know who Rowan Atkinson <laughs> is. Uh, so this film didn't get uh, wasn't particularly well received, but it did get nominated for one uh, uh, actually won one award for best original score for a fantasy science fiction film at the I- IFMCA Awards. So. Uh, for uh, Javier Navarrete won that award. Uh, and then some reviews of the film. Kirk Honeycutt of The Hollywood Reporter did not like the film and said, quote, whatever made the German novel Inkart by Cornelia, Cornelia Funke so popular that got it translated into 37 languages is nowhere in evidence in its film version. And quote, the main problem is the central concept itself. End Oof. quote. In comparison, Billy Goody Nook. <laughs> <laughs> is that a real name? Billy Goody Kuntz of the Arizona Republic. I swear that Bill Goody Kuntz. Kuntz. Bill Goody Kuntz. Bill Goody Kuntz. Go- I can't say it. Goody Kuntz uh, of the Arizona Republic enjoyed the film and said, quote, Inkart is entertaining enough, if not always easy to follow. And if it does nothing else, at least it may inspire kids to read, if for no other reason than to help make sense of it all. It's kind of a compliment. <laughs> yeah, a little backhanded, but... <laughs> Uh, and A.O. Scott uh, said the film, quote, aims for a blend of whimsy and tingly suspense, but botches nearly every spell it tries to cast. Its opening scenes are more confusing than intriguing, and the acceleration of the plot leads to a sense of busyness rather than suspense. A movie that can produce the image of Helen Mirren astride a unicorn has some claim on the audience interest, some claim on the audience's interest, and a movie that can make that image seem perfectly uninteresting is in some serious trouble. Hmm. So, yeah. It's interesting. This movie has a hell of a cast. Really does. It's got a fantastic cast. It's like every, like down the line, just yeah. great. Everybody's great. Um, but apparently, yeah, it's a it's a bit. Now, to be fair, the writer, uh, uh, Robots, Rise of the Guardians, Oz the Great and Powerful, Shrek the Musical, the book for that, Rise of the Guardians, I remember enjoying. Yeah, I liked. Rise like of I thought the it Guardians. was fun. I don't but think I've seen any of I, that other stuff. Uh, Robots is a notoriously not good film, I believe, from like the animated? early ninety. No, no, no. Robots. It was, or maybe it is animated. <sighs> no, I can't recall. What I'm thinking of is animated. Yes, it is that one. Okay. And actually, that's got that. better. I was thinking of Toys, which is a different film. So yeah, he. But he was also one of like three screenwriters on mm-hmm. that. Um, but yeah, that is the animated one from 2005. But the other one, uh, uh, Oz the Great and Powerful, was not good. Yeah. Not a good film from my memory when I saw it. <laughs> Did not enjoy that, uh, at least the the, the plot. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that some of the issues probably have a lot more to do with um, writing and direction than, than any of the cast. 
shall we yeah. say. Uh, but anyways, uh, before we can tell you where to watch it, we wanted to remind you, you can do us a giant favor by heading over to Patreon and supporting us there, as we mentioned at the top, or following us on all of our social media platforms and engaging so that we can engage with you in these prequel episodes. And this, in fact, was a patron request from That Darn Skag. So thank you, That Darn Skag, for supporting us for 15 bucks a month on Patreon. And uh, for that, we're going to talk about Inkart. Katie, where can people watch Inkart? Well, you can check with your local library. Feel um, like they might have this. Feel like they might have it, yeah. Uh, they definitely have the book. Right. Um, or if you have a local video rental store, you can check with them. You can stream this with a subscription through Hoopla. What the heck is Hoopla? I believe it is um, like a, almost like, um, like a, what was the name of that one? Canopy? Um, where you like have to have like oh, a like university a library, library sign in, uh, I think is what Hoopla is. Okay. Um, or if you if you don't happen to have such a thing, um, you can rent this for around three to four dollars through Apple TV, Amazon, YouTube, Vudu, Redbox, or Direct TV. There you go. Lots of places to watch it. Uh, yeah, it's three bucks to rent an HD on Amazon, so yeah. there you go. I'm excited. Uh, obviously, I'm always excited to watch Brendan Fraser and anything, but uh, I think this would be fun. I'm I'm, I'm sure I will find it uh, confusing and frustrating. Yeah, <laughs> probably. I think I'm going to like it. We'll <laughs> see. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, we'll find out in one week's time when we watch and talk about Inkart, and until that time, guys, gals, non-binary pals, and everybody else. Keep reading books. Watching movies. And, and keep, keep being awesome. awesome. Thank you.